Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as you take your Bibles and as our kids uh, head back with Ms. Rhonda, um, I'm going to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 6. Now, this morning, uh, we're covering the, the whole of the flood story, okay? So that means we're going from chapter 6 all the way through chapter 9. Now, um, you, you have my word that we're not going to read every single bit of that, okay? We're going to read a lot of it. Um, we're going we're, we're to look at a lot of this story. We're not going to look at every single uh, verse and, and every single chapter. Um, but, but what we see here is a key moment in the story of the Old Testament, the story of God's people. Um, we, we learn something about certainly um, the, the wrath of God towards sin. We also see God's great grace at work in the way that he preserved uh, mankind. So, so let me recap for us so far where, where we've been. Uh, so far, uh, we looked at creation. We looked at how God is the author of creation. He gets to set the rules. Uh, and we saw that at the end of chapter 1, God created everything good. Uh, that word good's repeated throughout chapter 1. And God saw that it was good. And God looked at everything that was very good. Then we looked at Adam and Eve. We learned about God's plan for our relationship with him. We learned about God's plan for our relationship with one another. God's plan for marriage. How um, Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with one another. Perfect relationship with, with God. And then came Genesis 3 in the fall. When everything came unglued. When, when Adam and Eve chose their own way. And um, things fell apart. And, and sin entered the world. And great consequences because of sin, and certainly in our passage this morning, we see uh, the way that that sin played out. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the, the fallout of the fall with Cain and Abel and the first murder, and, and then actually at the end of chapter 4, the second murder with, uh, with a man named Lamech. And then um, last week, we, we just looked at, at a couple of verses out of chapter 5 um, about Enoch. And, and all we were told about Enoch is that he... Um, that he walked with God. And so this morning, we come to what's probably one of the best known stories in all of the Bible. And if you grew up in church or grew up with, uh, with Christian in a Christian family, this is probably one of the very first stories that you learned, right? Noah and the ark. You might have had pictures of the animals and, and the ark maybe on your room or in your kid's room or in a, in a kid's ministry Room, or um, I'll, I'll age myself here. Maybe you remember seeing those on flannel graph in Sunday school, right? By the way, I'll argue that flannel graph is an extremely underrated ministry tool. That <laughs> I still have memories of those. You know, they're so cool. We put them up and they stay there. It was amazing, right? Maybe in the hallway, in the, in the hallways of the kids' rooms at, at church. We, for some reason, we took this and we turned it into a kids' story. Oh, let's. Let's tell our kids about Noah and the Ark because we have all these cute animals and, and we'll just ignore the fact that, you know, every living thing outside of Noah and his family and the, and the animals in the Ark died. Like if, you, if you've never seen, if you've ever seen a picture of the, uh, of the Ark, like there's never people drowning outside. Have you noticed that? Like we leave that part out of the kid's story, right? <laughs> oh, look here, the people. <laughs> <laughs> See, in, in reality, this is probably one of the darkest stories that we have in the Bible. Because it shows the great consequences of sin. 
It shows the, the terror of the wrath of God, but it also shows God's great grace. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. As I said, we're not going to read the, the whole passage, but um, if you will turn to, to Genesis chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 through 8, and let's stand as we, as we do so. Word of the Lord says this, When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. When the Lord saw that the human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I created off the face of the earth, together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, this, for your word this morning. We thank you for this great story that it's most likely familiar to us. And yet I pray this morning you would give us fresh eyes to see the story. That we wouldn't just leave with a walking away saying that was a great story about Noah and the ark and the animals, but that we would see your hand in pronouncing judgment on sin. That we would recognize the call to righteousness, the, the evil that sin is. And that in the way that you preserved not just the human race, but all of creation, we would see your grace at work in us. Will you open our ears to hear what you'd have to say to us this morning? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Um, now, typically, I'm a, I'm a three-point sermon guy. It's just kind of a pattern I've developed through the years. That, uh, I, I like breaking that down. Um, this morning, I have six, okay? Six points. So what I'm saying is buckle your seatbelts, and we're covering four chapters, all right? Um, it's gonna, no, it's going to be fun. Um, I'm, I've had a lot of fun this week um, looking at this, this story that I've known, uh, that I've known for a long time, and yet really seeing it with, with some fresh eyes uh, this week. And so uh, all six points start with the letter P. You're welcome. Okay, so if you're, if you're a note taker, um, that, uh, that, that's how that worked out. Okay, we, but we start with the problem. Okay, the problem. We just, we just read about the problem. That is that sin had become so widespread and so deep on earth that we're told God actually regretted that he had made man on the earth. And, he, and it says in verse 6 that he was deeply grieved. Now think about that for just a second. Look at how far things have um, progressed in the wrong direction. Because we're told at the end of chapter 1 that everything was created good. And then in chapter 2 we have this, this wonderful story of Adam and Eve and the, the way they lived together, the, the way they, they served God. 
And then chapter 3, they decide to go their own way and to choose to disobey God. And from there, things devolve quickly. Chapter 4, as we, as we discussed, we see the first murder. And then, as we get on down chapter 4, a little while, we see polygamy and, and more murders coming in. And then, until finally, we, we're told today in, in chapter 6, verse 6, that the inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. See, see here's the truth. Here's what we need to understand this is that sin always causes harm and pain and destruction beyond what we originally thought. Sin is never satisfied with just a little more. Have, have you seen this play out in your own life? Well, well maybe, if I, you know, maybe if I just do this, that'll, 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 you know, I know I shouldn't, but, but I'm going to do just, just this little bit, and it's not that bad. I mean, it's certainly not as bad as my neighbors across the street, right? I mean, they're bad, bad. I'm just a little bad. <laughs> and yet the problem is that, that sin is a monster that can never be fed enough. And in these chapters, from chapter 3 to chapter 6, we see quickly... The progression of sin in our world, where it got to the point where God said, I, we're actually told, God said, I regret that I made mankind. And it seems hopeless until we get to verse 8. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. And then we go on and in verse 9, we're told this. These are the family records of Noah. But look at this. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Now, now I find that interesting because we're, we're given this same description about Noah that, that was used of Noah's great-grandfather, Enoch, last week. He walked with God. So what we see here is a family, this family legacy of faith continuing. We talked about that a bit last week. And we don't know, uh, apart from Enoch and, and Noah, we don't know much about, we don't know anything about most of the people in, in their family line other than that there's faith that's passed down. Enoch walked with God, and then his great-grandson Noah, we're told, walked with God. Now, Noah was far from perfect, and we'll see that later in another part that's usually left out of the kid's story. Um, but... but but what we see here is that he was a man who sought God. Now, there's a, the CSB uses an interesting word here, and it says that Noah found favor with God. Now, in this, this word favor, the word that's, that's translated favor, doesn't mean that it's something that's earned. Instead, it, the, the idea behind it is that it's an undeserved blessing given by a powerful being to one who's less powerful. Now, if, if favor's given that's undeserved, we have another word for that. We would call it grace. Noah found grace. Now, the question is why? Because he was such a good, outstanding uh, model of what it meant to, to follow God? Well, we're, 
Remember what we're told in the Bible? Noah followed God, right? He, he walked with God. Certainly, there seems to be a difference in the way he lived than, than in the way the rest of mankind lived. But, but make no mistake in thinking that, that Noah and Jesus were, were the only two people who ever lived perfect lives. We're not told that anywhere here, that Noah was, was perfect. He found grace because of his faith. And this is what we're told again in, in Hebrews 11. We looked at that last week with, with Enoch, and we're going to see this again. Hebrews eleven seven. This is what we're told about Noah. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And we'll talk more about the plan and exactly what happened here in a bit. But Noah had faith in God. That even when God told him to do something that was simply outrageous, and that was to build a boat in the middle of the desert, where many scholars think that it had never rained before. The, the, a lot of the guys that I've read over the past couple of weeks seem to think that the, the, the ground was watered by springs that came up from the ground. It had never rained until this moment. So here's God telling Noah to prepare for rain, something he'd never seen before. And in the middle of the desert, I want you to build a boat. And by the way, it's, we don't know if Noah was told how long it's going to take, but we know that with Noah and his family, it took them uh, somewhere between 70 or 80 years to build the ark. Now think about that for a second. Do you think there were days they questioned what on earth they were doing? Right? And if you have kids... You ever told your kids to do something they didn't really understand what it, what it was they were supposed to do? Can you imagine like year 60? Hey dad, what are we doing today? Well, son, we're going to go work on the boat. Yeah, what do we do every day? <laughs> we're going to go work on the boat. Why are we building this boat again? Because God told us to because God has a plan and we trust in his plan and then in, as we get into chapter 6 we see the plan Look, jump with me down to verse 14 it says make yourself an ark of gopher wood make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch Inside and outside. This is how you were to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You were to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You were to put a door in the side of the ark, make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. What I found interesting, too, is that um, there are still barges that are used today that are built according to this um, th this. Uh, um, ratio, the scale. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Scale. Ten times as long as they are high, ten times as, or six times as long as they are wide. Um, I found that really interesting that they're actually still boats that are, that are being built today according to this scale. And then God tells him in 17, understand that I'm bringing a flood. Flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, 
and your son's wives. Verse 18 is the first mention of a covenant in Scripture. God says, I will make a covenant with you. I'll make a promise to you that you and your son, that you and your wife and your sons and their wives will be preserved. Not only preserving the human race, but, but we see, in fact, that the rest of the created beings, too. In, in verse 19, you are also to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, will come to you so that you can keep them alive. And then verse 22, look at this. We're simply told, and Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. It's a real simple, simple passage there, simple phrase. We're told that because of his faith, Noah obeyed. He was obedient to God's command on his life. In fact, that same, uh, same phrase is repeated in, in chapter 7, verse 5. And Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. Then in chapter 6, we actually see the Noah and his family entering the ark. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came and water covered the earth. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark because of the flood waters. From the clean animals, unclean animals, birds, and every creature that crawls on the ground, two of each, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, just as God had commanded him. Seven days later, later the flood waters came on the earth. So they get in the ark, they have everything there, and then the rain comes. This is the plan. No, I want you to build a boat for you and your family. You'll be the only surviving humans. I want you to bring two of every creature onto the ark. That's how God preserved creation. Now, now think about this for just a second. Even in this, we see something of the grace of God. Because God could have completely, he would have been well within his rights to wipe everybody out and say, you know what, I'm starting all over. We're just going to start from scratch because this, this world is, the, the, the thoughts of man are only evil all the time. And I'm done. We're just, just going to start over. But he didn't do that. He chose to preserve the human race, to restore the human race. to use one of his sinful, yes, but one of the men who followed him to hit reset. And then we see the precipitation. I had to play with that one a little while. It took me a little bit to get the P. The precipitation, all right? And, and look at this. Pick up in verse, uh, verse 11 in chapter 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the sources of the vast watery depths burst open. The floodgates of the sky were opened, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that same day, Noah, along with his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's wife and his three sons' wives, entered the ark with him. They entered it with all the wildlife according to their kinds, all livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that crawl on the earth according to their kinds. Every flying creature, all the birds and every winged creature, according to their kinds. Two of every creature that has the breath of life in it came to Noah and entered the ark. 
Those that entered, male and female of every creature, entered just as God had commanded him. Then the Lord shut him in. Of course, we know about it raining 40 days and 40 nights. That's, that's well known. But what we also see is that in addition to the rain, that the, the, uh, the watery depths, it says here, from, from underneath burst open. So you had rain, water coming up from the ground, water coming down from the sky. And we see here, of course, God keeping his promise. The covenant that God made with Noah in, in chapter 6, verse 18. So this is the covenant I will make with you, that I will... Um, that you, your wife, your sons, and your sons' wives will enter the ark, and you'll be spared. We see here the fulfillment of that. They're in. They followed God's command. The animals followed the command of God, and, and every, everybody there survived. In chapter 7, verse 16, we're told that the Lord himself shut the door. And thereby... Sealing Noah and his family in, sealing his covenant with them, but also sealing everybody else and every other animal outside. And this is explained in detail. It says, every creature perished. Those that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, wildlife, and those that swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. Everything with the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils. Everything on dry land died. Now we... We might look at this and say, well, doesn't this seem a bit cruel? But what we're seeing play out here in chapter 6 is actually what every single sinner deserves. Remember, God told Adam and Eve, on the day you sin, you will surely die. This, apart from the grace of God, this is the, the fate of every person that's ever lived. That, that we would die apart from God, literally shut out from the grace of God. Of God. And yet in Noah and his family, we see that there's the promise of hope and restoration. Jump with me now down to chapter 8, verse 15. We're going to look at that promise. We know that Noah and his family were, were in the ark for about a year. The, the, between the, the 40 days, 40 nights of rain... And the time after, while they waited for the water to recede, it was, it was right about a year by the time they came out of the ark. Now, verse, eight, verse 15, look at this. Then God spoke to Noah. Now, what's really interesting about that is that we don't have any record of God speaking to Noah during the time of the rain. During, during the time the, the storm is, is going, when it's raining, when they're sitting in the boat waiting for the water to recede on the face of the earth, we have no record that God ever spoke to Noah. And so I wonder if at times Noah and his family wondered if they were way off base here. Did, did we miss something? God was so clear in his instructions about what we were supposed to do. And now here we are in the middle of the storm. Has God forgotten about us? Maybe you've had the same experience. Isn't it interesting that sometimes in the middle of the storm, it seems that God is silent. But look at chapter 8, verse 1. There's a, there's a simple phrase here. God remembered Noah. You know where we see this? phrase again that God remembered? We see it again in the book of Exodus. 
where God's people have been in slavery for 400 years and are wondering, much maybe like Noah, maybe like you and, you and I, if God's forgotten about us. And in Exodus, we're simply told God remembered his people. God heard their cries. He knew where they were, and he remembered the promise that he had made to them. God remembered Noah. He remembered the promise he made to Noah. And then, verse 15, God spoke. God tells them to come out of the ark. All's well. You can, you can come on out now. And look at the first thing that Noah does in chapter, in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. The first thing that Noah does is that he worships. He realizes the, the grace of God shown to him, and he responded in worship. When you realize the grace of God that's, that's shown to you, how do you respond? Do you stop to think about the grace of God shown to you? Noah realizes, I, I think in this moment he realizes his unworthiness. I think he realizes that it's only by the grace and mercy of God that, that he and his family were spared. And, and as that hits, as they're walking off the boat, Noah built an altar to the Lord. Then in chapter 9, and verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the same command that was given to Adam and Eve in, in Genesis 2. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. With a caveat here, because something has changed. Look at verse 2. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Now, now here we see something. We see that that while some parts of creation are restored, this, this perfect relationship between uh, the, the families and between uh, the, the man and, and the rest of creation isn't there. Something, something's different. Sin, the, the effects of sin are still evident. We saw that in, in chapter 6, verse 18, God established a, a covenant with Noah, saying, I'll... I'll I'm going to save you and your family. And here in verse 13, we see another covenant that God makes. This time it's accompanied by a sign. I've placed my bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form the clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. Of course, hopefully we remember that every time we see a rainbow as well. God's faithful to keep his promises. Now at this point, it would seem like, so, I mean, we, we saw that sin was great on the earth. We saw that, that, that God chose Noah to, to save mankind. We saw um, that, that God had a plan by, by having Noah build a boat. And then we saw that uh, the, the rain came on the earth and, 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 and killed every living creature outside the, outside the ark. But then God made a promise and, and Noah and his family come off the boat and begin repopulating the earth and everyone lives happily ever after, right? 
That's where the kid's story ends, right? That's not quite the end because the problem continues. Pick up with me in chapter 9, verse 18. Noah's sons who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were Noah's sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Noah, as a man of the soil, began by planting a vineyard. So far, so good, right? He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both their shoulders, and walking backwards, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. When Noah woke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. Now, this seems like kind of a weird interaction, right? Noah falls asleep naked. One of his sons sees him naked. He goes and tells his brothers, and they cover him up. And Noah wakes up and is furious that, that his first son saw him naked. What on earth is happening here? Well, first of all, we see that obviously the flood and starting over with humanity didn't cure the sin problem. Right? Sin is still... Even humanity's best chance at a fresh start was still, still had issues. So Noah gets drunk, falls asleep naked. As I said, we don't usually cover this in the kids' story, right? It ends before, there, before, before this part. Now, the problem seems to be, from, from the study that I did this week, the problem seems to be that Ham dishonored his father. And keep in mind, we're, we're in the East here, and where, where honor is a big part of the culture. Ham dishonored his father's and his father and he sins by, by first of all apparently not just not just like seeing his father naked and going, whoa, but actually actually staring at him. And then he increased his sin and his father's shame by reporting his father's sinful condition to others. In other words, he didn't just go and say, guys, we, we got a problem. The, the idea is that he went to his brothers and say, You'll never guess what I just saw. I thought maybe in 2019, Ham might have taken a selfie with Noah and posted it on Instagram. Okay? <laughs> that seems to be what's going on here. Shem and Japheth, however, responded differently. They, they refused to look at him, and they covered him. See, they, they refused to make sport out of their father's sin. Now, now, let's just stop and think about the way we respond to the sin of others today. Do, do we see other people struggling with sin and have a tendency to gloat about it? I mean, we live in a, in a world where now everything is on social media at some point, right? And maybe you've seen um, organizations that, that have um, struggled with some dishonesty or, or individuals who've struggled with some sin and seems like we can't wait to expose that, right? We can't wait to make it known to the world and revel in, well, look at this. Look at what this person did. Noah wakes up. His, his sin has certainly had consequences, and his son's, Ham's sin had consequences as well. In this case, the, the, the curse that Noah places on Ham and his family is that they would be slaves. And throughout Scripture, we see this play out, and that the Canaanites, or the, the descendants of Canaan, 
would serve as slaves to the Israelites. Now, real quickly, since we're talking about slavery, some have taken this and, and, and have um, made that, take, taken the Bible too far and said that this actually um, is the Bible condoning slavery. We certainly saw this passage used during the African slave trade here in our own nation. We'll see the Bible right here says that it's okay for there to be slaves. And the, the difference is, um, is, is that we simply here have a description of what happened, not an endorsement. And in fact, those who sought to abolish slavery around the world, um, one, one striking example is William Wilberforce in, in England use scripture to support the end of slavery. Now, we know that slavery has been a dark stain of history. And here's the thing. The, the Bible does not scrub its stories of dark elements. The Bible doesn't wash the stories up before it presents them to us. It, like, like a flood and God's wrath. Instead, what we see throughout Scripture is the grace of God working in and through a very imperfect people. And Scripture is going to present people with their warts and all and then show us how God works in and through messed up people to accomplish his purposes. Now, here's the thing. Noah was not perfect. Neither was any Old Testament saint or New Testament saint, for that matter. Outside of Jesus Christ, nobody in the Bible is perfect. And let me inform you of something. Neither are you. Regardless of what your mama told you, right? You're not perfect. I'm sorry. Neither am I. We are sinners in need of a Savior. Of course, the point of the flood is not just that that there were animals and God saved everyone. The, the ark and the story of Noah is pointing us towards something. It's pointing us to a greater Noah who would come. It's pointing us to one person who is found righteous, who would pay the penalty for sin and who would deliver us from God's wrath once for all. See, over 2,000 years later, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death in order that you and I could be reconciled to God. In the story of the flood, we see that the consequences of sin are great. There's, there's, no, there's no denying that in this story. Sin had great consequences. We see that something about the wrath of God against sin. We see that it enrages the heart of God. What we see is that sin is serious business, that it's not something to play around with, to point and laugh at. It's something to be repented of. It's something that we must be putting to death. Maybe the, the Puritan John Owen put it best when he said simply this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And yet, even as we can and, and we should be horrified at sin and at its effects, we can marvel at the grace of God. That he was working in and through imperfect people in the Old Testament to accomplish his purposes. And that he still works in and through imperfect 
people. And just as Noah built an altar when he got off the boat, we can bow and worship at the reality that God took the initiative in sending Christ Jesus to save us from our sin and, yes, even from ourselves. Close with a verse and then we'll pray. We know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is played out before our eyes in this, in this Old Testament passage. But so is verse 24. They are justified freely. All have sinned. But they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Have you been set free from the power of sin and death. Like Noah, even the, even the best among us are going to slip and fall. That's the, that's the nature of the world in which we live. That's the nature of the human heart. Sin separated us from God, and we deserve what the rest of humanity experienced, the rest of creation experienced. When the rains fell, we, we deserved eternal separation from God through death. But through Christ Jesus, we've been given the opportunity to be reconciled to God and to live eternally with him. If you'd like to know more about that, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to visit with you and tell you how you can come to know Jesus, how you can experience that freedom from sin and death. You can experience life eternally with Almighty God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to gather, to open up your word. We thank you for this story that maybe many of us know well. And, that, and yet, that we wouldn't just dismiss it as a kid's story. But we would see it as what it is. A dark story about the, the human heart. A story about your wrath, your anger towards sin. Your grace in sending Noah to save mankind. And then reminding us that even he was imperfect and had flaws. That lets us know we need a better Noah. We need a Messiah. We need a Savior. And we thank you so much that you sent Jesus Christ to be that Savior for us. For those of us who are believers, would you remind us of your grace day in and day out that, that we are undeserving and yet you've poured out your grace on us. For, for those in this room who have not yet trusted in Christ Jesus, pray you would grab their hearts today. Show them the depth of sin. Show them the great grace and forgiveness that's available through Christ Jesus. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.